Good morning. Welcome. I'm happy that you're here. Uh, We are in our second week of our Compassion for People series. But before I say anything else, what I need you to do, this is going to seem very counter to, you know, my usual thing. I need you to take out your smartphone, if you have a smartphone, and I need you to go to Facebook. You should be laughing. And, And I need you to go to the Oxford Vineyard Church. Facebook page. Well, if you don't have Facebook, just sit tight for a minute, okay? And then you need to go to events, where it says events on the page. Are you seeing that? Okay. And under events, there's an event called Holy Spirit Night. It's tonight at 7.30 here. I don't know if you heard Bree say that. Um, you're going you're gonna to click on that event really quickly, and then you're going to share that event with your friends. Does that sound good to everyone? Okay, cool. So while you're sharing that event, uh, I just want to kind of welcome you to this message. So interestingly enough, this is actually one of the first messages that I preached when I started speaking here at the vineyard four or so years ago. Um, And I kind of gave a message where I unpacked these different terms, their pity and sympathy and empathy and compassion, and it was kind of a cool message, but when we started planning the series, I was like, oh, perfect. I, I have the opportunity to kind of resurrect this old sermon that I preached that wasn't very good, but it had some good bones. It had some good nuggets in it, and I get to kind of breathe life on it again. So I'm excited to talk to you about this today. Um, compassion, if we're going to really understand what compassion means, compassion lives at the very heart of the good news. It lives at the very heart of the gospel. And so if we're going to understand what the gospel is and we're going to respond to it and we're going to live from that place, we need to have a deep understanding of this word compassion. So the gospel, in my opinion, is compassion. And I'll kind of unpack that as I continue to talk a little bit. But compassion, the the love of God, is the most important element of your faith with respect to other people. It's the most important element of your faith. And so I know that some of you might be thinking, no, truth is the most important thing. So I hear you. I want you to know that I think you're right. But I think that we might have a little bit of a different understanding of where truth comes from. Because compassion is the truth about who God is. So let me pray, and then we'll kind of dive into some of those things. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence this morning. God, we ask for an encounter with you this morning. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds? Would you tenderize us for the good news of Jesus? Would you open the eyes of our understanding, open the eyes of our hearts to what it is that you have for us right now, Lord? We ask, Jesus, that you would be here sitting with us in the seats, encountering us in in the, the situations of life that we have going on and the concerns and the worries and the doubts that we have. God, would you... Uh, meet us in the middle of those things, and just shed more light on your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. So when I say the gospel is compassion, uh, what I mean by that is that we kind of need to unpack the gospel a little bit. So I'm going to be honest with you, I lifted some of this out of, uh, as John would say, my friend I've never met, Tim Mackey. Uh, He's one of the guys that works on the Bible Project. So if you have ever seen any of the videos that we've shared here on Sundays or watched any of the Bible Project videos, uh, Tim Mackey is one of the voices that you'll hear on those videos. He's an awesome Bible teacher, uh, and I just, I love what that guy brings to the kingdom. So 
check out the Bible Project if you haven't before. So to understand what it means to have compassion for people, we have to have a really sound understanding of what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. We have to have that story straight in our heads, right? We can't have any confusion or half-truths or quarter-truths about what the gospel is. So the first problem that we face as Christians when we're trying to have compassion for people is actually what our friends think we believe. This is the first roadblock. Because what I think that the people around us think we think is not the complete story. And it's hardly biblical. Right? So one of the most important things we need to do is to be able to clarify exactly who Jesus is. So the story that most people around us think we believe is this. I have a graphic for it. So uh, here we are. We're living in this place called Earth over here on, on the left. So we're living in this place called Earth, and it's about 50% awesome and beautiful and fantastic, and it's about 50% tragic and extremely difficult and sad. Right? And... Um, so we're here, we're on the earth, and we're living our lives. So that, that next line that kind of goes straight, it represents our lives. So we're living our lives here on the earth. And, you know, sometimes we, uh, we do really poorly, but we're trying to do better. But, you know, we all mess up. But really, at the end of the day, we're trying to spend more time on the top of the line than on the bottom of the line, right? That's kind of what our lives boil down to. And so at the end of the game, God closes the curtains on history, and uh, whether, you know, you happen to uh, believe the right things about who Jesus are or who Jesus is or, you know, kind of based on whether you've done good things or bad things or whatever, uh, you kind of end up, your destiny is one of two places, heaven or hell, right? Well, um, that's what the vast majority of people in the West think that followers of Jesus believe. Um, and, and you might be thinking, I think that's what I believe, and I'm here to tell you that uh, I care about you, and the thing that I just described is wrong. That is not the gospel. Uh, so in this case, the good news is, is not this, right? This is not the good news. The truth about the good news we actually find in Mark chapter 1. So, you know, if, if there was a time, you would think, that Jesus came out and said, this is the good news, you would think that we would hang our whole understanding of what the good news is on what Jesus said the good news is, right? Well, unfortunately, that's not really what we've done in the West. We've actually kind of formulated our own uh, simplified, oversimplified version of the good news that's full of, like I said, half-truths and things that don't really reveal the goodness and the glorious nature of who Jesus is. And instead, we've boiled it down to something really, really simple like this that kind of gives people the wrong idea. So let me read out of the first chapter of Mark to you. If you want to follow along, it's going to be Mark 1, 1 through 3, and then we'll read verses 14 and 15. So, it starts out, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So stop. What are we reading here? This is the beginning of the good news, right? Of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So what he's about to explain is the good news. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. 
So what's being described here? What's being described here is this guy, John the Baptist. So if we're familiar with John the Baptist, he comes out ahead of Jesus, right? And he starts to tell the Jews, hey, the Messiah is coming, right? Prepare yourself, repent, and prepare for the good news to come, right? So that's what's being said here. So then when we skip down to verse 14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Did you hear that? Proclaiming the good news of God. So what you're about to hear is the good news, according to Jesus. The time has come, he said. So what's the good news? Something's here, right? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Did you hear that? So could you switch back to that first graphic? The good news isn't, here I am on earth, and if I live good enough and believe the right things, I end up on the right side of the line at the end of the game. That's not what Jesus said the good news was. Jesus said the good news is that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this. Oh, wait a minute. That's a little different, right? That gives us a little bit of a different outlook on, on what we're about to talk about. So just stop and look at verse 15 and ponder that. This is the good news. The time has come and something is here. And that something is the kingdom of God. So the good news isn't about us going somewhere at the end of the line. Are you hearing this? The good news is not about us going somewhere at the end of the line. The good news is about God coming here. That's the good news. So if we believe that the good news is what happens to us after we die, we're actually wrong about what Jesus said the good news was. The good news is that he's here. I loved Kim's story because it, it, it represents this, right? The good news to your cousin was that you called and you said, you're in this bad situation, here I come. That's the good news. That's the good news. So, this first chart that we looked at, it's actually pretty self-centered. Because it has to do with me, and where I'm going, and what I'm doing, and uh, how I get there, right? It has to do with me. Which is really how folks in the West are trained to think. So I'm not surprised that this is the gospel that has come out, right? We're individualistic. We think about ourselves and how to get what we need and what we want, right? So the gospel that's going to come out of that is going to be the me-centered gospel, yeah? So the next chart that I want to show you is one that accurately portrays the gospel as it should be understood. And it's a lot more interesting. There's a fantastic set of videos from the Bible Project, so I would recommend that you go and watch the Bible Project video on temples. It's about nine minutes long, and I just didn't really feel like I had time to bring it in. But write that down. That's your homework, to go home and watch the Bible Project video on temples. We need to understand the gospel through the lens of God's intent for creating the world, not just kind of what we've come to understand the gospel to mean through you know, our experiences and the context that we're living in. We actually need to mine out the true meaning of the gospel from the scriptures. So in Genesis, it's, it says that in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And what else? 
Just shout some things out. What else did he create? Right, everything that's in it. Plants, animals, water, the sky, the spiritual realm, right? Do you know what's not mentioned? Hell. Hell is not mentioned. Hell doesn't enter the picture until the fall of humanity takes place. So in the beginning, it doesn't say in the beginning, God created heaven and hell. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the spiritual realm and the animals and the humans and all of these different things that we experience. And hell enters the picture when humanity falls. That's because, you know, we, we sort of refer to hell as like this, this place that, you know, people go after they die. It's sort of the, the bad fireplace for bad people who do bad things and end up on the wrong side of the line, right? Hell, we do a lot better to understand hell as uh, what's taking place around us, right? To think that suffering waits for us to die is pretty naive, did you catch that? To think that suffering waits for us to die is pretty naive. It would be a lot healthier for us to understand hell as the brokenness that is taking place around us uh, instead of the bad fireplace that bad people go when they do bad, right? So one of those things means that we have a job to do, right? If we understand hell as the brokenness that's taking place around us, that means we have a job to do. If we understand hell as the bad fireplace where bad people go when they do bad things when they die, that's just nightmare fuel. So what is hell? Abuse is hell. Human trafficking is hell. Racism is hell. Homelessness is hell. War is hell. Rage is hell. Starvation is hell. Your hot temper is hell. Jealousy is hell. Pride is hell. Addiction is hell. Those things are hell manifesting around us, right? Because this next picture that I'm showing you of the gospel, these are these things overlapping, integrating together. The first one is, is really just an easy excuse because there's no consequences until the end. But I'm here to tell you that the consequences are manifesting around you, right? The consequences of the spiritual realm, the consequences of, of what's going on in the heavens and on earth are happening around us. We don't have to wait, right? Heaven and earth are overlapping realms. And Jesus clearly stated that his mission and his purpose were to make more of the heavenly realm evident on earth. That's what he's saying when he says, repent and hear the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the heavenly realm is invading the earthly realm and it's displacing the hell that's among us. That's the whole point of what he's saying. The good news is that God showed up here. The good news is that we don't have to wait because he showed up here and there's a job to be done. That's what we're talking about. So in order to do that, like John would say, Jesus needs to get the hell out of earth so that heaven and earth can be rejoined, as was plan A, right? We saw that in the beginning. So, we haven't talked much about compassion yet. If the whole mission of Jesus is to get the hell out of us and get the hell out of earth, then how does he accomplish that? 
through us, exactly. So when we look at his actions and what motivated him, when we look at Jesus' actions and what motivated them, uh, we find that compassion is the main occupation of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he makes that our occupation. Compassion is the thing that motivated Jesus to evidence the kingdom, right? When Jesus says, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing, when he's doing what he sees the Father doing, he's moved and motivated by compassion. There's a whole bunch of verses. They're mostly in Matthew and Mark, when it's described this way, where it says that Jesus was moved by compassion. And then what happened next? He healed somebody. He delivered somebody, right? There's action that is associated with compassion. And so I'll unpack that a little more later. But if you remember last week, John talked about the parable of the coffee bean. Do you remember the parable of the coffee bean? So the difference between what happens when you put an egg in hot water or a carrot in hot water or coffee in hot water. So when you put an egg in hot water, what happens? It gets hard, okay? When you put a carrot in hot water, what happens? It gets soft. When you put coffee in hot water, what happens? It becomes the beverage of the gods, as John would, as John, as John would say. Amen. Compassionate living is the kind of living that produces change in the environment around you. Compassionate living, what I'm describing to you in this message, is the coffee bean kind of living, right? So, uh, compassion displaces hell. Compassion displaces hell. Not outrage. Outrage doesn't displace hell. It fuels it. Displeasure with the people around you who don't act the way that you want them to, that doesn't displace hell. It fuels it. Uh, complaining. I love it when Lynn explains complaining from a worship perspective. Complaining doesn't displace hell. It fuels it. Complaining is worship aimed at the other kingdom. Complaining is worship aimed at the other kingdom. So to grasp what this means and to grasp uh, kind of what this whole series means, we've got to have a proper understanding of compassion. We've talked about it a lot, but we haven't talked about exactly what it means. So the next scripture I want you to look at is going to be Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38 in the NIV is what I'm going to be reading from. So it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. There's a lot of lines like that in the gospel, and I, you, you know what I think of when I read those lines? Like, have you ever watched a good boxing movie? And when you're watching this boxing movie, right, there's like, there's some main, you know, fights and like there's some relationships going on and whatever, but then there's always like several really cool training montages where you see the guy, you know, like boxing and doing all the, you know, boxing stuff or whatever, and it's like all these clips cut together. When I read a verse that says Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, I, I see in my mind like a training montage from a boxing movie. I see Jesus just like going to every town and like every place, and he's just like kicking butt. I love it. So then it goes on. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers 
into his harvest field. The earth is his harvest field. God has a, a longing, a, a, desire, a passionate desire to see people come to the knowledge of him, to see people experience the compassion of Jesus for people. And what Jesus is saying here, it goes way deeper than just please do some evangelism outreaches, right? It goes way deeper than that. He's saying, I am making you my ambassadors. I'm making you my ambassadors of compassion to these people. Because you notice that he was moved by compassion. and He said to his disciples, I want you to take up this kind of compassion. I want you to take up this way of living, right? And pray for more people to take it up because that's what Father needs. So this verse, is, is, it can be often leveraged to make people feel guilty for not doing more evangelism or for making more converts. But Jesus is not really talking about making converts here. Jesus isn't talking about making people pray like a rehearsed prayer that you've you know, prepared or whatever. Jesus is talking about having compassion for people and the kind of compassion for people that understands that my mission is to displace hell from this place, right? Not, not the kind of compassion that says, uh, I, I really want to grow the church, or I really want you know, to be able to say, hey, I led 15 people to Christ last month. Or, you know, it's not like that. It's the kind of compassion that's displacing hell one little bit at a time, right? It's the, it's the often slow work of God that we get frustrated with, and we say, I don't see enough happening here, Right? But when we make ourselves available for him to work through and show his compassion to people through us, it's amazing. We're fulfilling the thing that Jesus prayed for when he asks that the Father would send workers out into his harvest field. Now, of course, coming into relationship with Jesus is, is a byproduct of compassion, right? We see that all the time. And the compassionate act often leads to people saying, how can I be saved? How can I know this Jesus, right? Because they're so shocked, they're so taken aback that a rabbi, that a Pharisee, right? Jesus, by definition, was a Pharisee, that a Pharisee would behave like this. But that's who Jesus is. So compassion comes from the Greek word splachnizomai. So would you all say splachnizomai? You sound like the Sims. Have you ever played the Sims? They all just like kind of babble gibberish at each other. It's pretty funny. Um, this, this means, in the Greek, it means to feel a deep love and compassion from the depths of yourself. Or literally from the bowels, right? So there's a poop joke in there somewhere. That's kind of John's department, so I'm going to hold off, and I'm going to let John make the poop joke later in the series. But our, our English word, right? So that's the Greek word, splachnizomai. Our English word, compassion, comes from the Latin com, which means with, and passus, which means suffering, right? So it literally means to suffer alongside. It means to suffer with. And the thing that makes the gospel unique and compelling is the compassion of the Father that's put on display through Jesus Christ, right? So if we go back to that first picture with the line and heaven and hell at the end, that's not really compelling, it's just not. It's not really very interesting to people. Like, people see that and they think, yeah, I've kind of heard that a million times. I know exactly what that is. And I'm not really that interested because I don't think I believe in that. Right? 
The thing that's compelling is when you, when you lay the heavenly realm over the earthly realm and you explain that these things that are, that are abhorrent, right, that need removed from the earth, that need removed from society, that God's purpose, that the good news of Jesus is that those things are actively being removed by the work of Jesus. And so if the church is not doing that work, then the church isn't doing any work at all. So before any other characteristic, compassion is at the very center of the heart of God. So what is compassion and what isn't compassion? Um, we have to, to make all this talk about compassion practical, right? We've got to have something to do about it. Because if we leave here and we understand what compassion is and why compassion is, that's great. But it's not really going to change anything. Uh, we have to realize that this is a process where we're partnering with the Holy Spirit to change our minds, to change our thinking, right? When we talk about having your mind renewed, when we talk about putting on the new self, we're talking about actually having a change in perspective, right? So I would say, I'm just going to go out on a limb. If your opinions about people and the way that you see people and the way that you behave around people and the way that you, um, you know, kind of the lens that you see the world through, if that hasn't changed in the last, let's say, five years, you're not renewing your mind. Because renewing your mind literally means to be made new. It means that there is something like qualitatively different about you and the way that you behave and the way that you see the world and the way that you see people. So if we're in this transformation, if we're in this to put on the new self and be transformed by the renewing of our minds, there's got to be some evidence of that. There's got to be some fruit of that, right, if we're really engaging in that work. So what I hope to do is kind of give you something that makes this practical so that you can look at this and say, yes, I have grown in that, right? You can, you can look at, I'm going to put up kind of a spectrum of things here. You can look at this spectrum and say, I have moved along that line. Maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, right? And it'll be different, kind of depending on uh, who or what you're thinking about. So uh, this is sort of where this talk began four years ago. So I want to run through these different things. The first, the first thing on this continuum, that's interesting that compassion's way down there. I don't know if that means anything, but that's cool. Um, the first step is pity, Right? So we've got we've to kind of differentiate between some of these terms because people use them pretty interchangeably, but I would say that they mean different things. Okay, so the first thing is pity. And what pity is, is it's, it's acknowledgement. It's just you acknowledging that there's a problem. Right? You see that someone's ill, and you say, I see that they're ill. That's unfortunate. That's it, right? That's where we start. The second step is sympathy. So when we think about sympathy, right, we send sympathy cards. We feel sympathetic to a person or to a cause. Sympathy is care. So sympathy is us saying, not only do I see that there's a problem, and I acknowledge that there's a problem, but I, I actually care that it changes. Now, I'm not doing anything yet, right? And I'm not, I'm not engaging. I'm not, you know, in the trenches. But I, I see that there's a problem, and I care about that problem. And then the next step along this road is empathy. And empathy can be defined as feeling alongside. So feeling alongside. Empathy is like, I see that there's a problem, and I care that there's a problem, and I'm going to get close to it. Right? 
It's not, not just that we understand and we care that there's a problem, but I'm actually going to involve myself in a way that it might cost me something. Right. And you start to feel the same things. Yeah? You start to feel that situation. You start to feel what's going on. Now, the good news is that Jesus didn't stop there. Because think about this. Think about how silly this would have been. If Jesus came, right? If God became a man and he came to earth and he experienced human life, right? And he was beaten and he was abused and, and, he, and he went to the cross and he was crucified and he died. And that was it. Then he would have, that would have been empathy because he would have come and he would have, you know, experienced human suffering and he would have understood it and he would have been a part of it. But the great thing is that Jesus was motivated by compassion. Jesus wasn't motivated by empathy, right? So then the next step is feeling and healing alongside. So the work of Jesus, the reason that the cross matters is because God comes and becomes a man and experiences human life and experiences pain and loss and suffering, and then he dies, and then he takes the keys to death, right? And he, and he comes back, he is resurrected, and he not only feels alongside, but he heals alongside humanity. So he enters into a situation, he gets intimate with it, right? He, he becomes aware, he becomes participatory in the story of humanity, and then he heals it, which is amazing. Are you hearing this? Do you see how this relates to your life? Do you see how this relates to your life? Not enough people are saying yes. When, when, we, when there's a situation, I don't care if it's sickness, I don't care if it's injustice, I don't care if it, whatever it is, we have to make every step along this road if we are going to have a Christ-like response to hell going on around us. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so feeling and healing alongside, that can look like a lot of different things. That can look like the street evangelist who's out there and he's laying hands on people and they're getting healed and the kingdom's breaking in and we see healing. That could look like the spiritual director who sits with people in pain and loss and the experiences of life and, and helps them discern where is God? Where is God in this? What's he doing? Right? That could look like the, the social services caseworker, yeah, who gets intimately involved with people's lives and with the things that they're struggling with and the things that are holding them down. And they don't only understand, they don't only feel and experience that with that person, but they heal alongside them. They go on the journey together. Are you hearing how different this is from the first way that I described the gospel? There's work to be done here, right? When, when we take that first picture of the gospel, and we think, okay, you know, life, and I'm trying to be good, and I'm trying to come out on the right side of all this, then the job is done when we pray the prayer. There really isn't any reason to live after that. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like, once we pray the prayer under that first picture, that first paradigm, that's it. I mean, we're set, right? We figured out where we're going, and we're good to go. So I believe that there's still meaning and purpose beyond that, right? I think that's why there, there are so many people in the church who still struggle with, like, meaning and purpose. 
beyond that because there is, there is a lack of understanding of this overlap between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm and the fact that we exist to displace hell with our lives. There's deep purpose involved in that. So this is how you have compassion. This is how you and I both have compassion for people we don't like. We have to start with step one, acknowledgement. And it's not something that we accomplish on our own. We absolutely have to pursue the Holy Spirit, right, and the transformation of our minds to participate in this. But we have to start with acknowledgement. So one of the things that I've been doing, I shared this testimony in both of our small groups this week, is, you know, the two people that we've been praying for this week. Has everybody been praying for two people? So the two people that we've been praying for this week, one of them kind of came to my mind before the group started. And so I started praying for him. And I noticed, so I, I met this guy, you know, maybe a year ago. And he kind of rubbed me the wrong way, to be honest. Um, he's a former professional athlete, and he made some really bad decisions. He got cut from his professional sports team. And I just thought that his personality and his way of being was just sort of crass. And I was like, yeah, I just don't like feel good being around you. You know, I would sort of describe it that way. And I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to start praying for this guy because I've been having some run-ins with him and we've been having some conversations. And so I prayed for him for about four days before the group started. And I, and I was putting this to the test, right? I was like, Lord, just, just allow me to, to acknowledge this guy and maybe begin to care for him because right now I'm just in a place where I don't, to be honest. And you would not believe the next time he walked in the room and I laid eyes on this guy, I almost, I, I mean, I got chills up and down my body because the Lord had started to so uh, care inside of me for this guy. And I know the Holy Spirit's going to keep taking me down this, this path. He's going to keep taking me on this journey with this person. Do that, not just with people in your life, but with people groups, with, with situations that you complain about, with people that you complain about. Right? Instead of complaining, start asking, Holy Spirit, would you just teach me how to acknowledge this problem for what it is? And would you teach me to start caring about it or them or whatever? Right? Does that make sense? And so I'm, I'm so filled with expectation for what God's going to do with these people that I'm praying for because I know that he's going to take me down this road and I know that eventually I'm going to have an opportunity to feel and heal alongside if I make myself available, if I make myself available for the good news to flow through me. Cool? Jesus is a big deal because he refounds the world with a new beginning predicated on self-sacrifice. He refounds the world. The world started over on Easter. It started over on Easter. Think about creation and the fall and then what was born out of that, right? Cain and Abel and Lamech and all this, you know, ugly, gross stuff. If somebody wrongs me, I'll return it back to him, you know, a hundred billion fold or whatever. Get out of my face with that because... Brian Zahn says it like this. He's one of my favorite teachers. He says, The cross gives the world a new organizing principle. Instead of being organized, axis of power enforced by violence, the world has now been refounded around an axis of love expressed in forgiveness. That's what we mean when we speak of the salvation of the cross. 
that the world has been refounded around an axis of forgiveness, around an axis of compassion, right? Now, I'm not here to talk to you about the mechanics of how the judgment of God works. I'm not here to talk to you about the deep theological details of, you know, what is hell and how does hell work and whatever, right? I know there's been some talk about that. But what I want you to understand is that the point of this book and the point of the life of Jesus is compassion. The other stuff, it's supplementary, right? The point of the life of Jesus is living from a place of compassion for people. So we need to wrap this up kind of quick. We're going to have communion today. We're going to conclude this message with communion. So if maybe John and Josh or somebody could grab those out there. Um, compassion is action, right? I referred to that earlier. It's, it's, it's action. It, when Jesus was motivated by compassion, he did something about it. He healed somebody. He delivered somebody. And that's something that we all have the opportunity to enter into. That's something that Holy Spirit is equipping all of us to do. And it's not an issue of worthiness, and it's not an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of availability. And when we make ourselves available to Jesus, when we, when we come to this place of surrender, and we make ourselves available to Jesus, and we say, yes, I want to participate in this, he honors that. So every time the Gospels say that Jesus was motivated by compassion— What's at play here is what was going on at the cross. What's at play here is what was going on at the cross. It's a laying down of our own preference, of our own motivation, because intimacy with Jesus allows us to do that. That's why we started with passion for Jesus, and now we're in compassion for people, right? So compassion was this, the main thing that caused Jesus to look for the activity of the Father. So what I want to do is we'll just distribute this communion. And while we do this, I want you to reflect on Jesus' compassion for people. The broken bread and the blood poured out are literal expressions of compassion, of co-suffering love. Co-suffering love. The broken body and blood of Jesus poured out his co-suffering love. So we come to this table not because of any goodness of our own, but because of the mercy and help of the Lamb of God, because of Christ, we are the righteousness of God. So I just want to pray this over you. Come because God loved you, because you love God a little and you would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the bread of heaven, for we are his body. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a while. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed. Eat the bread and remember the body of Christ broken in submission to sinful humanity in order that we might come to the knowledge of him. Jesus submitted to us in our brokenness. And drink, remembering the blood of the new covenant shed that invites us into the forgiveness and the compassion of God. Amen.